Welcome to River Rock Bible Church. My name is Charlie Turner. I'm the lead pastor here, and it is a privilege to be here this morning with all of you guys. We're glad that you would join us this morning. A couple of announcements before we jump into the sermon. The first is, National Night Out is October 2nd. Raise your hand if you know what National Night Out is. All right, it's actually in August in the rest of the country, but this is Texas, and so if we had a national night out in August, nobody would show up. So we do it in October here in Georgetown. National night out is an opportunity for you to go out in your front yard and get to know some of your neighbors, some of the people who live on your street, and this is something that we believe in firmly here at River Rock Bible Church. We believe it's important for us to go into our neighborhoods and to get to know the people that live around us to develop relationships with them, and that through that, as we get to know them, that God is going to provide opportunities for us to see their lives change through the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. And so we want to encourage you to go to the Georgetown Police Department webpage and sign up to host a block party in your neighborhood. Now, many of you guys served at Love Georgetown a few weeks ago, and you got to meet some other people, other Christians from your neighborhood, and I would strongly encourage you to reach out to some of those Christians in your neighborhood and to plan this event together, to say, hey, how are we going to reach the people in our street in the name of Jesus? Now, the idea is not to get them to come and then you do a gospel presentation. The idea is just build relationships, and then over time, you have the opportunity to share the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ with them. So we want to encourage you guys to do that. Uh, I think sign-up goes through the 21st of September, so be sure that you go online and do that. It's awesome. We've done it on our street for the last three, four years, and it's been amazing to have that time of fellowship with our, with our neighbors. Um, the other thing that I want to do before we get into the message this morning is a couple of weeks ago, we had a membership seminar, and uh, we had about 10 families or 10 people sign up as new members. We've also had some earlier in the summer that we didn't recognize because I was gone. But if you have recently joined River Rock Bible Church, would you just stand up and let us recognize you? We want to celebrate what God's doing in your life. Go ahead. Don't be shy. There we go. Got a couple in the back, back here. Already serving. Excellent. Uh, it's an exciting thing for us at River Rock when we have people say, you know what, we want to be a part of what God is doing right here, and we recognize that we don't go to church, we, we are the church, right? And so we recognize that, and what happens here is just a celebration of what's happening throughout the week in the life of this church. So this morning, uh, as we get into the message, I just want to start, and, and I, I'm, just, I'm really excited about the message this morning. But I'm also excited because it's a special time of year. It is an extremely special time of year because my favorite seasons are all aligning. Um, And no, I'm not talking about pumpkin spice latte. I went to Starbucks this last week, early this morning. I meet a group of men for discipleship, and it's August, and they have pumpkin spice lattes. I'm sorry, but when it's 102, it doesn't feel like fall, all right? So, but my three favorite seasons happen all in the same month. Baseball season, football season, and hunting season, all at the same time. So this is a very special time of year for me, but if I had to pick one that was probably my favorite since I was little, as much as I love hunting, I'd have to say baseball is probably my favorite sport um, to watch, to listen to. Doesn't he, I'll watch the Little League World Series. It doesn't even have to be you know, Major League Baseball. 
And, and I'm, I, if you've ever been to a baseball game, raise your hand if you've been to a professional baseball game. We have a little sound clip that's going to play here in a little bit, and I think you're going to know exactly what to do when you hear it. Um, so we should have that clip. Let me, let's go ahead and play that, and you guys just respond as you feel led, okay? Whenever it plays. All right, so everybody knows that cheer, and that was pretty weak. I think we should do that again. Like you were, like if I were the Astros, I'd be like, man, this is the lamest place to play baseball, right? So let's try that again with a little bit of excitement. There's coffee in the back if you need it, if you want to go get some first. But let's try that again, like you're actually excited to be here, all right? Here we go. Awesome. Well, I'm not going to, yeah, there we go. I'm not going to make you guys do the wave this morning, but you guys all know that cheer. It's a call and response cheer. There's a call, the trumpet or the organ plays, and then the audience does what? They respond. The song that we had, (laughs) thank you, Mason, in the back. (laughs) Great response. That was a good call and response right there. The song that we played during our welcome and greeting time this morning was the Isley Brothers. You know you make me want to call and response, right? There's a call and there's a response. And this morning, we're going to look at a chapter in Luke chapter 5, verses 1 through 11. And we're going to look at the story of Jesus calling the disciples. And what I want you to see this morning is that there's a very clear call to discipleship. That Jesus puts this call out here, not just for this, the, his disciples, uh, but he puts a call out for all disciples. And we have an opportunity to respond, every single one of us. It's a call that demands a response. Just like the cheer, just like everybody, uh, you know you make me want to... It demands a response. You can't help but respond to it. And so this morning, I want us to look at Luke chapter 5, and we're going to see how the disciples respond to Jesus when he calls. Um, So Luke chapter 5, verse 1. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word... He was standing by, the lake, by Lake Gennesaret. This is also the Sea of Galilee, same place. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from land. Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water and let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, We've worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your word, I'll let down the nets. Now, let me stop right here. What's happening? Jesus is a carpenter, and he's recently taken up a teaching ministry, and he's recognized as a rabbi, as a teacher in the Jewish faith. And he comes to Simon Peter, who is a fisherman. His father was probably a fisherman. This is a man who knows the business. And if you know anything about fishing in, uh, over in Israel, the best time to fish is at night. So the fishermen would go out at night, early, early in the morning, to try to catch fish. Daytime is not the time to be fishing. And typically, where they would fish would be in the shallow waters, because the, sh- the fish would come closer to shore. They wouldn't be out in the deep waters. 
And so Jesus asks Simon, he says, hey, put out in the deep waters and let down the nets. And Simon's like, what does this guy possibly know about fishing? That's all the wrong stuff. But what does he say? He says, master, this isn't the way we catch fish, but at your command, I'll do it. At your command, I'll do it. Let's continue on. When they did this, they caught a great number of fish and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat uh, to come and help them. They came and filled their boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I am a sinful man. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish they took. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. In this passage, we see a very clear call to discipleship and a very clear response. There's a number of things happening here that I want us to dig into this morning, but the first thing I want to I do is I want to point out the reality that this is not the first time that Jesus has interacted with Simon. In fact, if you, if you were to look at the Gospels and try to match them up in, in terms of a timeline, you'd know that the very first time that Simon Peter meets Jesus is after his brother Andrew has been out and he sees Jesus baptized. And he sees that Jesus is uh, called by John the Baptist. And he says, behold the Lamb of God. And Andrew, who had been following John the Baptist, goes with Jesus and begins following him. And he says, hey, you've got to meet my brother. So Andrew introduces Peter to Jesus way back in John chapter 1. And Jesus invites them into discipleship, but they don't quite follow full time yet. They're just kind of there. They're hanging out with Jesus. They know Jesus. And then we know from Matthew chapter 4, it's also recorded in Mark, that there's another time when Jesus is walking along the shore and he comes across Peter, Andrew, his brother, James and John, their business partners, and he says, hey, you guys come follow me. And it's somewhat of a similar account, but we know it's not the exact same account because in one story, Jesus is by himself, but in this story, he's got a crowd around him. In the story in Matthew and Mark, we also know that it's, uh, it's after this that Jesus begins his teaching ministry, where here in Luke chapter 5, Jesus has clearly already started his teaching ministry. And we know that in Matthew and Mark, that account, it's the men are actually fishing. They're casting their nets when Jesus calls them, and here they're repairing their nets. Not only that, but if this were the same account as in Matthew and Mark, it would kind of be a big deal to leave out the miraculous catch of fish. I mean, I think if you were recording something, you would want to catch something about the time that you caught so many fish that your boats began to sink. So this is clearly now the third time that Jesus has interacted with these men and called them to discipleship. This isn't the first time. And in fact, if you go back just one chapter in Luke chapter 4, Jesus has just healed Peter's mother-in-law. So Jesus didn't just walk up to someone randomly and say, hey, uh, let me get in this boat. No, Jesus was very intentional in what he was doing. And he was calling these men to discipleship just as he had before. But these men had missed the point before. They were still involved in their their previous business. They didn't understand that what Jesus was calling them to was meant to be something full-time. They had followed him somewhat, but not completely. They were still involved in their fishing business on the side. 
the first thing that I want us to see this morning is the call. That Jesus' call to discipleship is a full-time commitment. This is a full-time commitment. He tells Simon, Andrew, James, and John, he says, hey, from now on, you're going to be catching people. He says, I want you to leave this completely behind, and I want you to catch people. And what's amazing about this is if you think about what fishermen do, fishermen catch fish that are alive, and they make them dead. Jesus says, I want you to catch men. I want you to catch people who are spiritually dead and be a part of bringing them to life. Watch as I bring them to life. This is a unique, special thing that Jesus is inviting them to. And now they're starting to understand what Jesus is calling them to. They knew what he meant when he said, I want you to catch people. They understood. He was using terms that they could relate to. Now they recognize that they are being called to become his full-time active participants in discipleship. They had been with Jesus when he had done the miracles at Cana. When he turned the water to wine, they had been with Jesus in John chapter 4 when he teaches in the town of Samaria and people put their trust in him. They had seen Jesus himself catch people who were dead and make them alive spiritually. They had seen Jesus himself be a fisher of men. And now Jesus is saying, guys, this is what I want you to do. This is what I'm calling you to do. And I love that this is not the first time that Jesus has called them. This is now the third time that we have recorded that Jesus had called them into discipleship. But notice Jesus isn't angry with them. He doesn't walk up and say, Simon, are you so dull that you don't understand that I want you to come with me full time? Hey, stupid, let's get on this. Come on. Come on, clock's ticking. I only have three years before I got to die on a cross. Hello, come on, I need to train you. No, he's patient with him. He's gentle with him. They're on good terms. Jesus doesn't get frustrated with us. And I think about my own life, and I think about how many times uh, I've come to the realization that there are areas of my life where I'm not fully committed to Jesus, where I've held some things back from him. And Jesus gently comes to me and says, hey, I I just want to put this out there one more time. I I I want you to turn this over to me and follow me full-time in this area. So we see this call to full-time commitment He continues pursuing them, but these men had competing interests in their life. You see, they had a fishing business that was competing for their attention from Jesus. And I think just like that fishing business, every single one of us has things in our lives that compete for our attention. They compete for our full devotion to him. And I want to challenge you this morning, there should be a little bit of space in your bulletin. As, as we talk about this, as we think about this, what are the things in your life that Jesus is having to compete against that are keeping you from being a full-time follower of Jesus Christ? Now, I'm not talking about ministry. Call to ministry is something completely different. But if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, he has called you into full-time discipleship. You don't get to say, yeah, I'll follow Jesus in this area of my life, but I'm going to hold on to this area of my life. He's calling you to surrender. He's calling you into something special. He wants you to be a part of his mission, to be a full-time follower of Jesus Christ. Those of you who've been around River Rock for a while uh, know that we like to define a disciple this way. Matthew 4.19 Jesus, this is the earlier account where Jesus has called the disciples, and it says, follow me, he said to them, and I will make you fish for people. So in that 
invitation, we see that there's also a definition of what it means to be a disciple. A disciple is someone who knows and follows Jesus. They know Jesus by faith. They put their trust in him, and they're following his ways. A disciple is someone who not only knows and follows Jesus, but they are being changed by Jesus. Jesus says, I will make you into something. They're being changed. They're continually submitting different parts of their life to him to be changed and transformed and conformed to his likeness. And lastly, we know that they are on mission with Jesus. Jesus says, I will make you a fisher of people. That means I'm inviting you into this mission to join with me. And that's what a disciple does. A disciple joins Jesus on mission. And here, Jesus is calling these men to that full-time lifestyle. And he's asking them to set aside everything that's competing against that, following and knowing, knowing and following, being changed and being on mission. And Jesus is saying, it's time. It's time for you to come. The second part of the call is we have to recognize that this is a costly commitment. What Jesus calls us to is costly. These men have just made the catch of a lifetime. Their fame throughout all of Israel would have spread that if you want fish, you go to these men to buy your fish. Now, here's what you have to understand about the fishing business in Israel of this time. Fish was the main meat that they ate. We read a lot about goats and sheep and cattle and everything throughout the Bible, but what you have to understand is that those were typically reserved for times of celebration. If you were going to eat meat on a daily basis, nowadays we eat what? Chicken, right? We eat the dirty yard bird. That's what we eat. We eat chicken because it's cheap. Well, fish was the same way. But if you had a fishing business, you had a steady source of income. You were guaranteed that you were going to be able to provide for your family. And now Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to leave all of that and follow me. It was very costly for these men. They were giving up their source of income. They were giving up everything that they had ever known. Jesus is asking them to make a sacrifice What we have to understand is that when we choose to follow Jesus as a disciple, it is costly. It is costly. I'm not going to talk about the tithe, but that is part of it. That at times, God calls you to go above and beyond in your giving. And it may be a sacrifice. And what I love, last week, if you were here, you saw the celebration that we had as a church. And you saw how our church went above and beyond last year to give sacrificially. But it's not just about money. Sometimes it's your time. Sometimes it's a sacrifice of time that, you know what? I would rather sit on my couch and watch Monday night football than go and be in my yard and talk to my neighbors. But God is calling me to get to know the people around me so that I can love God and love others and be on mission to be fishing for the lost. You know what? It's hard for me to be around lost people because they don't think, act, look and talk the same way that I do, but maybe that's a sacrifice that God's calling me to make. Maybe it's the sacrifice of time that, you know what, I really don't want to get up early and be on the the setup and teardown team. I really don't want to be on the usher and greeter team, but my church needs it. I don't really want to be in children's ministry twice a month, but our church needs it. So I'm going to sacrifice a little bit of my time so that I can help make disciples of the next generation of leaders in this church so that I can be a part of welcoming people to the church on Sunday morning, knowing that the smile and the greeting that they get may be the only one, the only happy face that they see all week. God calls us to make these sacrifices. 
The call of discipleship is a costly one. We have to think in terms of the temporal benefits versus the eternal benefits. See, these men were giving up money. They were giving up things that would benefit them temporally in this life. But think about everything that they gained by sacrificing that. They got to see Jesus changing people's lives. They got to see the miracles. In the, in the very next passages, we see a man who's cleansed from his disease. We see a man who is uh, healed from being lame. They get to see all of this firsthand. They get to see Jesus changing lives. When you commit to full-time discipleship, being a full-time follower of Jesus Christ, handing over every area of your life, yes, it is costly, but you get to be a part of seeing Jesus change people's lives as you join him on mission. And not only that, but when you get to heaven, if you're faithful in following him and obedient to him, you get the joy of hearing the heavenly father say, well done, my good and faithful servant. Yes, it's costly, but I would say that the the benefits far outweigh the cost. Now let's look at the response. I love this in verse, verse 8. <clears throat> when Simon Peter saw this, the miracle that Jesus had performed, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me because I'm a sinful man. And Jesus' response to him in the second half of verse 10 says, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The first thing I want us to see in the response is, I think, a normal human response. And the disciples respond with fear. Why would they possibly be afraid? I don't think it's abnormal when we think about Jesus calling us into discipleship and we know that it's full-time and we know that it's costly. There's an element of fear of the unknown. But what I love here is that Peter starts just like we are. Where I find myself so often that he, he's fearful because he feels inadequate. And I think many of us, when Jesus calls us to discipleship, we say, no, it can't possibly be me. God, if you only knew, what does Peter say? He says, away from me, for I'm a sinner. And how many times have we felt like God can't possibly use me because of my past? God can't possibly use me because I have this in my life. Yet Jesus calls him. He feels inadequate. He feels unqualified. And what I love about this is, In Peter's mind, I bet he's thinking, he's seen Jesus teach. And in his mind, I wonder if he's thinking, you know what? There's religious leaders, there's Pharisees, there's Sadducees, there's scribes and teachers of the law. All of these men know scripture way better than I do. All of them have way more experience than I do. Jesus, why are you calling me? I'm a sinful man. And I think Jesus is looking at Peter and he says, that's exactly why I'm calling you and not these other ones. See, Jesus didn't have time for people who thought they knew it all. Jesus was looking for people who were broken and humble and willing to say, I'm, I'm not worthy to walk with you. That humility is what gave Jesus the chance to enter into his life and say, let me show you what you can be. So it's this feeling of inadequacy that I think prepares Peter to become one of the followers of Jesus, to become a disciple. He has that fear response. He feels inadequate. But Jesus says, Peter, it's that attitude, that humility 
that's what I want to work with. I can work with that. I can't work with people who think they already know it all. But you I can work with. Thank you for humility. Second part of the fear is I think there's a fear of the unknown. Peter's being asked to leave everything that he's ever known, his whole life, to leave it all behind. I think in his mind when Jesus has called him before, Twice before, he's been called into discipleship, and I think in his mind, he's thinking, if I leave this, how am I ever going to provide for my family? We know that he was at least married because he had a mother-in-law. We don't know if he had kids. Scripture doesn't tell us that, but it's possible. So he's looking at this, and he's like, if I follow this Jesus guy who has no place to lay his head, who has no money, he has no home, how am I possibly going to provide for my family? And I think, this miracle that Jesus just performed, Jesus is saying, hey, you can trust me to provide. Look at all the fish that I just provided for you. You can trust me to provide. I will be the one who provides for you. You don't have to be afraid, Peter. You don't have to be afraid. Now, I wonder how many of us look at our past and we've been looking to other things to be our provision. We've been looking to other things to be our provision, something other than Jesus. We look to our old identity and we say, this is who I am. This is how everyone knows me. If I change, if I follow Jesus as a full-time disciple, what's going to happen? But what Jesus says is, hey, you can trust me. I'm going to give you a new identity. I'm going to give you a better identity. Some of us have old habits that we're holding on to. We're following Jesus in most of the areas of our lives, but we're, we're struggling with what we put into our bodies, with, with what we consume, what we see on TV, what we watch on the internet. And we say, you know what? This is where I've gone to find comfort. I find comfort in these things. This is my past. This is where I've always been comfortable. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I have a better provision of comfort for you in me. Leave those things behind and you will find a greater amount of comfort in me. What is it in your life? What have you been running to in your past that you can turn to Jesus to recognizing that he's the better provision? Is it comfort? Is it identity? Is it actual provision? That you're just relying on what's in the past instead of what Jesus has for you. And I think there's There's something that goes along with this as well, the fear of the unknown when it comes to his future. We don't know exactly how old Peter is, but he's established as a fisherman. He's established a business. And now he's probably thinking, I have no idea how to be a teacher. I have no idea how to do this lifestyle that you're calling me to. What's it going to look like Uh, to begin an entirely new career? And what I love is that Jesus uses the same language. He bridges the old with the new. And he says, hey, I'm not, I'm not asking you to change everything. Let me show you how being a fisherman relates to being a disciple. And I started thinking about that this week, and I thought about the life of a fisherman back then. Fishing was hard work. It was hard work. Being a follower of Jesus Christ is hard work. As a fisherman, they had to work together as a team. They had business partners. You can't pull the net up by yourself. It would take at least two people, and in this case, it took two boats full of people to pull the nets up. Discipleship also requires teamwork, requires that we know how to work together. 
As fishermen, you can't give up easily. Now, I'm guilty of this. There's people who fished with me here in this room. I cast three times. If I don't get a hit, I'm done. Like, I'm ready to go home. I'm a catcherman, not a fisherman. I get bored very easily. But when fishing is your lifestyle, you got to recognize these men had been out all night and caught nothing. And what are they doing? They're repairing their nets so they can go out again the next night. As disciples of Jesus, we've got to understand that there are times we're going to cast our nets all night long and catch nothing. And we've got to be willing to be ready to go back out and keep casting that net over and over and over and over and over again because we never know when God's going to provide us with that catch. I also see that, that they had to labor diligently. They had to have the courage to face the storms. You can't just be a fair-weather fisherman. You've got to go out into the storms and catch fish, even when it's difficult. And these were men who were going out into the storms of life, being willing to catch fish. The last thing I want us to see is this. The response is to follow. The response of the disciples is to follow. They're overcome with fear. Yet, they see a greater provision in Jesus and they follow. The word that's used here in the original language means to go after, to obey. And I I found this definition in one of my dictionaries this week. For this word, it says to follow or accompany someone who takes the lead in determining the direction and route of movement. It specifies a factor of accompaniment rather than merely going behind. Let me read that again. Listen. To follow or accompany someone who takes the lead in determining direction or route of movement that specifies a factor of accompaniment rather than merely going behind. See, a lot of times when we think about leaders... When we think about leadership, we think about the guy out front who's leading me. But the problem with that is that that person's leading from a distance. There's a distance between me and that person leading. And the word that's used here when Jesus invites them to follow, when it says that they followed him, Jesus is, is talking more what I think of. I, I have a three-year-old. She'll be four next Monday on the 10th. And I think about being in the grocery store with her, holding her hand. Who's in charge? Who's leading the way? I am. But I'm not in front of her. We're side by side. I'm walking along with her. I'm still determining the route and the movement of our, the direction of our movement, but we're side by side. We're holding hands, walking together. And I love this picture that as disciples of Jesus Christ, we need to be willing to walk side by side with Jesus. He wants to be side by side walking through the difficulties of life with us, but he is clearly in control. He is clearly in charge. He doesn't lead us from a distance. He's right there with us. But how many of us have truly said, yes, Jesus, I want you to be right there with us. I think most of us say that. But how many of us have said, I want you to determine the direction and the movement of my life? See, that's where I think we often fall short. I know that's where I often fall short. I know in my life, there's many, many times when God calls me to go one direction. And just like Peter, just like Peter said, Master, (laughs) You don't fish in the middle of the day and you don't fish in deep waters. I'm a fisherman, I know better. In my 36 years of life, it's never worked out this way. I can't tell you how many times I've had that response. And the one thing that God continues to grow me in 
is the second half of Peter's statement. But at your word, we'll let down the nets. God, in 36 years of my life, it has never worked out for me to do this. But at your word, I'll obey. At your word, I'll obey. That's what it means to follow. Let him determine the direction of your life. And I want to challenge you this morning. I think every single one of us has areas in our lives where we like the idea of being side by side with Jesus, but we don't like the idea that it's a costly commitment. We don't like the idea that it's, it's a life-consuming commitment. It is a full-time deal to be a follower of Jesus Christ. We don't like the idea that we have to leave our past behind, looking to him to be the provision for our future. And we don't like the idea that he now is master, Lord of our lives, and he gets to determine the direction that our life goes. Those are hard things. And we know that Jesus taught some hard things and that not everyone that came to Jesus ends up being a follower of him. What I love is the last phrase of this. It says that they left everything and followed him. If you read in Matthew 4, first time Jesus called them while they were fishing, it says they left their nets and followed him. But now they leave everything. Jesus' call to you is as a disciple. Are you willing to leave everything to follow him? This morning, I believe this message is one that requires a response. And so we're going to have a time of response. We're going to have elders here, two stationed up front. I'll be in the middle, and we'll have some elders in the back. And our worship team's going to come, and they're going to play, and we want to give you a chance to stand up and to respond. You can also just respond on your connection card. But if you would love for someone to be praying with you about your response, we want to give you that opportunity. And let me tell you, the very first part of following Jesus as a disciple is to know and follow him. And that begins by putting your trust in Jesus Christ and Christ alone. We know that Jesus came and his purpose of coming as the sinless son of God was to live a life without sin to die on the cross to pay the penalty for our sin, to be buried and on the third day be raised again. And scripture tells us in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, it says, for it is by grace you have been saved through faith and that not of yourselves, it is a gift of God, not as a result of works so that no one may boast. Very clearly that verse tells us it's not by our good works, it's not by our Bible knowledge, it's not by how much money we give to the church or how often we attend the church. What matters is that we begin a personal relationship with Jesus by trusting in his death and resurrection alone for the forgiveness of our sins. And if you're here this morning and you have yet to do that, I want to encourage you that today is the day for you to respond. Jesus is inviting you to respond. He's calling on you to respond. Maybe you're here this morning and you've been been a believer. You've put your trust in Jesus. And you've been trying to follow him as a disciple. And you know that he's called you into discipleship, but there's still areas of your life that you're hanging on to. And this morning you're recognizing that his call is to full-time discipleship, that he's calling you to leave everything and follow him. I want to encourage you to come. Let the elders pray with you. Ask for prayer. Respond. Hand it over to him. He's faithful. 
He's gentle and loving. How many times did he invite the disciples into this relationship without getting frustrated, without getting angry? Maybe you're here and you've you've never actually said, you know what, I believe in Jesus, but no thanks. I don't want to surrender that control of my life. Will you see that Jesus is a much better provision than whatever you have going? Whether it's your identity, your habits, your finances, that Jesus is able to provide much more than that old way of life that you're still clinging to, even as a believer in Jesus. So this morning, I want to invite you guys to stand. And I want to encourage you to respond. Jesus' call is to follow me. Become fishers of men. I will make you catch people. Are you willing to take the steps? Are you willing to step out? However you feel called to respond this morning, I would encourage you. If you'd like someone to pray with you about that, our elders will be up here, and I will as well.
grateful that you are patient with us in the times that we're slow to understand exactly what it is you're calling us to. Lord, we pray that that you would give us the strength to obey, to follow you full time, that we would have the privilege of seeing you changing not only the lives around us, but our own life as we follow, as we walk with you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated.